This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome. My name is Shane Told. I run this show. I run this shit. Uh, yeah, I am uh, very hungover today. Um, it is um, it is a weekend we call May 2-4, which uh, basically involves everyone that's Canadian. They have to drink a 2-4, a 24-pack of beer uh, in one day. And uh, it's not a good holiday for me. So um, I did the 24 beers. Uh, I did a bottle of uh, wine and uh, various shots. Also played a game called Beer Darts with my buddies. So uh, yeah, I have felt better. But hey, we got a great show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I speak to my very, very good buddy, Trenton of Hands Like Houses. And I love this dude, man. He is... <laughs> I call. I think I call him a nerd uh, at one point in this podcast, and he kind of is. You know, he's very technically minded. Uh, you know, he talks about how he's not a people person. So I, I really loved connecting with him on this. It was so great to see him. I know they're on tour right now with Anna Shikari, and then they're headed over to Europe, uh, and they have a new album out, of course, which is called Dissonance. So check that out. It's on Rise Records. Uh, go pick it up. Okay, okay. The May 2-4 is not really a holiday about drinking 24 beers, although that does tend to happen. It's Basically, it's a, a Victoria Day, which is when you're listening to this. It's a holiday Monday in Canada, uh, the Queen Victoria's birthday, I think it is, or something. And uh, pretty much because in Canada, we have cold weather most of the year, uh, and this is kind of the first good weekend we have. So everybody goes up to the cottage pretty much. It's what I did. And we go up there. We have a big party uh, every year at my friend Joel's crazy cottage. And I had a blast, but man, I am feeling it today. I am feeling it. So, hey, anyways, uh, thank you again so much for listening to this. You guys like tuning in week after week. I get, I love the emails I'm getting. I'm trying to write back, but I get so many but please keep them coming. I'm going to try really hard to write back to everybody. It's leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Couldn't be easier. Also, check out our other social media. We have an Instagram, which is at leadsingersyndrome. We have a Twitter, which is at leadsingersyn, S-Y-N. There is a Facebook page you can search for. And also, hey, I'm on Snapchat now. Um, it's not 
a lead singer syndrome Snapchat, but but myself, Shane told, I got Snapchat. And I got to say, man, it's pretty cool. I was skeptical at first. Uh, as I said last week with Paul Mark when he interviewed me, check that out. I said, you know, I'm just afraid there's going to be like dudes sending me pictures of their dick and all this like weird stuff. And I'm actually having a blast with it. So go on there, uh, add me on Snapchat. I add everyone back. It is Real Shane Told. I know it's a bit of a douchey name, but that's what it is. Real Shane Told. Add me on Snapchat and I'll see you on there. Also, while I have you, let me tell you about how you can support the show. It's really, really easy. If you buy anything online, uh, I'm sure you use Amazon. Everybody uses Amazon because it's awesome. They have great prices and they sell everything. So if you want to help support the show, it's really, really simple. All you got to do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That'll take you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in as normal. You put in your information. You won't even know it, but you'll be logged in and everything that you buy, our show gets 4%. So if you spend $100, we get four bucks. It all adds up. So please use that link. It's called a referral link. Again, just leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That's all you got to do. Anyways, so let's get into it. Here we are with another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome with my very good buddy, Trenton from Hands Like Houses. Until I get excited about something. I'm so excited. Hey, yeah. check. Yeah. All right. Awesome, dude. Hey, um, I'm here with Trenton from Hands Like Houses, my good old buddy, and we're actually sitting in my car. This is my first podcast I've recorded in my car. All right, game on. People are going to wonder what the hell we're doing here. <laughs> I also wonder if, can you get a parking ticket when you're sitting in your car? I don't think so. I mean, I think that's called standing. So when it says no standing, okay. even though okay. we're sitting. I want to see, maybe we'll have a little adventure here. If the parking yeah. guy comes around and I can move the car while he's riding it, yeah. just get really... You uh, just go for a road trip and you can like point out uh, you know, little sights to see around Toronto. And That'd be cool. Maybe I, maybe I can we'll maybe hold that. your microphone. It's like that, um, <laughs> what's that um, thing they're doing now with the guy, fuck, I, James uh, um, yeah, no, Horton, the one, is that his name? Uh, yeah, the one, like does stuff with Sia and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and they yeah, all yeah. sing in the car. That would be fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. we do like a punk rock version. <laughs> oh, I have a funny feeling we wouldn't know the same songs. <laughs> I don't know It's I, funny I, I, I don't think you're actually That much older than me But at the same time I feel like uh, My ex- music experience Is a lot younger Do you think so? I feel like my musical age Is about five years Younger than I am Well what is your age now? I'm um, 28, 29 20, In a couple of months so. Okay 29 Yeah I'm 35 And you think that Okay so that's right there oh, okay. Already yeah. We're already about six years But then you think There's another five You tack on Well I mean well, Yeah I mean you know Caleb very well And I just hang out with yeah. him And he's been doing this For so long And he's still like What 22, 23 Whatever he is now I know it's, it's crazy dude Caleb is like Caleb from Beartooth <laughs> We're talking about That dude is insane Like like the very first podcast I did Was with him And like I couldn't believe Like He's had a full career Yeah It's, it's insane like, Already And he's on his like Second go around And he's 22 It's insane man so, yeah, that's crazy. So, no, when you say that, like, well, how did you grow up with music? I guess let's just start there. Like, you say your young music, is that just because you were into, I think like, I got more into newer it, like, bands? Late yeah, in your life, um, yeah. Like, when, it, I mean, 
I started when it comes like singing and music and stuff when I was well, only, I was probably about fifteen. Really, I started actually okay. singing through church because um, I was a you know fairly active Christian until I was about nineteen. So okay. I kind of. I don't know, I was kind of peripherally into music and stuff, but I, th- I think as a young teen, I was more into like Star Wars and computers and <laughs> PlayStation. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, I was kind of singing through my church and um, kind of realized, oh, actually, I c- well, I didn't realize I was told, hey, you can actually sing nicely. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't know, I kind of kept going with that and ended up starting a band when I was like 18, 19. It was around that sort of time. I only really started getting into heavy stuff about kind of 16, 17. Right. You know, started off with, you know, Linkin Park sort of thing. And then kind of from there progressed into like being a Christian kid, went into the whole kind of solid state tooth and nail era. So all the, you know, the Norma Jean, the Me Without Use, the um, Under Oath, obviously, sure. Emery, that sort of thing. So that's kind of what got me into, I guess, rock and metal to some degree and i mean everyone through went through that super heavy phase a couple of years after that i think right right but yeah i don't know i kind of felt like i started late and even then i just haven't really had the chance to actually i guess rewind and start listening back to kind of you know what was around during the you know mid thousands before i was really getting into it well and, it seems like you got into that stuff a few years after it happened then right if you're talking about like the yeah, tooth and nail era and you're saying it was like when you're 18 19 yeah so you're 29 so like that was like what two thousand and six ish. Okay, was kind I, of I guess you were kind so of on like, time then. I mean, uh, you know, you were kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess yeah. I guess I guess your start is more of the era that I was already. You know, Silverstein was already well, kind of on tour. You were doing your biggest we stuff were, then. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of funny. Yeah, I guess my musical musical you know influence and backgrounds. You're right. It's probably a generation. You know, kind of mm. before. You know, for me, it was like more the punk rock. You know, kind of stuff that that my influences evolved into what became, you know, all those bands that you mentioned, which is, which is kind of interesting, mm. which is kind of interesting. But, um, so, so you're skipping a lot of details though. You're like, you're saying, okay, I'm 18. I'm singing in a church. Next thing I know, like I'm in a band, but you play guitar, right? Yeah, a little, bit. only a little, little bit. bit. Uh, enough to kind of, I don't know. I used to do like kind of acoustic stuff and, but yeah, it's like guitar is one of those things I'd never really spend enough time with. I mean to, but I just yeah. haven't like it. Yeah, I, I'm not very much. Because the reason I ask yeah. is because I know you as like kind of a technical dude in terms of like you know you know more about how all the gears working on stage <laughs> than the guys actually playing through it yeah. in your band. Yeah, <laughs> like I talked to. Alex and Cooper, and they're just like, I don't know, man, Trenton just, like, figures it out. <laughs> and I'm like, so your lead singer figures out how the guitar rigs work? Like, <laughs> that is very, very backwards. Yeah, um, I th- my personality type is not far off Asperger's, uh, in the sense that I kind of tend to really, like, analyze and try and get, like, a really complete, in-depth, detailed understanding of everything. And when you're a singer, like, there's only so much you can do. Like, I have, you know, I know what this, I'm recording my uh, oh, dude, interview you, right now you, through an well, EV mic, and you're using a Shure SM7. Sto- and- <laughs> I know, that, that's what I'm saying, though. But when we plugged in these microphones, you're like, oh, this is the new one, the new um, uh, EV RE320 or whatever. <laughs> like, oh, they redesigned, redesigned it from the RE20. It's like, you're such a nerd, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I've just finished building a music studio uh, at home in a shipping container, so it's kind of, you know, I, I love recording, and, and and I kind of wish our recording process as Hands Like Houses was a little more fun for me, because I'm usually, you know, so flat out writing vocals, I don't get to enjoy the studio stuff, but it is stuff I've always, you know, loved doing, like I'm in my first crappy band prior to, um, you know, to being in this, um, 
you know, we recorded our own stuff and um, even then that wasn't, like, that was my bandmate that was doing that, but I was kind of watching him and, like, trying to figure out how it all worked. And I think that's kind of made me appreciate music more for, I guess, you know, the combination of the creative and the technical, being able to kind of, right, sure. you know, sure. well, that, that's line a, them up together. That's an interesting thing, too, because the technical aspect of of creating music is often something that a lot of musicians sort of shun in mm. a way like there's 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 two schools of thought there's people that are always like on the cutting edge of technology and they want to have the latest software and they mm. want to have the best new microphone or all this stuff and then there's other people that are kind of like well hey people have been singing writing and singing great songs for decades and decades like hundreds of years yeah. you know at this point um why why do i need that shit <laughs> Well, that, I would say that's the rest of the band. Uh, yeah, Like, right. for a long time, we were, like, effectively a pedal-free band. Like, I think the guys had, like, a tuner and a delay. Yeah. And I think that was about it for a long time. I mean, they've, you know, started playing more with kind of reverbs, and Al's been using, like, a chorus pedal more recently, and I've been trying to kind of encourage them to find new pedals and, like, oh, I think you'll like this one, or you should check this out, and... um using them more as creative tools because they're very much on that mindset but for me it's like I love kind of breaking down like how can I like you know I'm a terrible guitarist but when I pick up a guitar (laughs) that feels good or when I play through a pedal that I'm like man this sounds cool it's like it actually makes me feel like a better guitarist and um, you know and that goes for you know most instruments I suppose so do you find that inspires you too as a musician yeah definitely um, like when you hear a cool tone you're like hey how can I incorporate this into my art yeah yeah definitely and right. I think understanding how that works it's, it's also good from a I guess a troubleshooting perspective as well as like oh this isn't quite cutting through or this isn't leaping out and you know how do we do that but yeah it's definitely um, a creative thing like there's you know uh, I have a Japanese um, Fender Squire Strat that I bought for like 300 bucks off yeah. reverb mm-hmm. and um I completely rebuilt all the insides of that because I just wanted a guitar that was mine set up the way that I would like it to work. And um, between that guitar and then, you know, a few pedals I've been able to borrow from friends, like there's one called the Strymon Flint, which just, I don't know, it's a tremolo and reverb, but when I sit down with it, it just, it has such cool sounds in there that it makes me want to write, you know, riffs and stuff to the point where that stuff's kind of stuck with me longer than I've had the pedal. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's about finding that creative niche that's like, kind of equal parts technical and creative yeah that's interesting yeah that's just very different you know i talked to i'd say most of the people i talk to overall i'm surprised at how most of them being lead singers are still pretty in tune with what's going on you know with the technical stuff Mm. uh i'm always surprised because i always feel like at least when I was a kid, like you go see a band and you see the singer by himself just kind of running around and you just kind of assume he's more there to like put on a show yeah. than actually like be the mastermind behind the show. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Like yeah, that sure. was just when I was a kid, I always thought that. And now that I've talked to more and more people, uh, I've sort of started realizing a lot of people really do um, get it and take pride in knowing how this stuff works because that's the way yeah. I am too. I but like, but but you're like I think kind of at the very very top <laughs> of it all. Like like for example, I know like you know you guys like have a live show that's pretty intense with with what you guys have like with equipment mm. like a lot more intense than yeah yeah. Just, I've got just, this big rack that kind of runs all our you know our keyboard tracks and our any yeah. mixes and um, you know Coops runs and Axe effects. So we uh, we haven't set it up to 
automatically switch and stuff, but it's something we've definitely played with the idea of. But yeah, it's a pretty intense little rig and just keeps everything contained, so you don't have to rely on monitor guys, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you guys are from Australia, which yeah, we are. is pretty evident by your okay. accent. <laughs> and we we'll see um, you guys over there soon. Yeah, very. Oh, man, we're going to have a great time over there. Hell yeah. Uh, it's going to be, what a tour. Um, yeah, we're going over with Pierce the Veil and uh, Beartooth, for people that don't know, in yeah. August. So any Australian listeners... Make sure you get tickets for that. I think they might be even huge. be on sale. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be huge. Yeah, you guys are playing uh, Luna Park Big Top. I think it's yeah, Big Top at Luna Park, which is like this little kind of mini amusement park. Nice, um, huge venue. I remember seeing like uh, I think it was uh, separate shows, but I saw Alexis on Fire and Norma Jean there uh-huh. back in the day, and it's such a huge room, and it was that kind of blew my mind a bit. Right, man. I love be, yeah. I love Australia. Um, what a country! Like my favorite place to hang out to tour. Just like oh my god, whenever anyone asks. Australia. It's like not even a... Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, but people ask all the time, what's your favorite place to tour? Like, it's such a cliche <laughs> interview question. And, uh... Oh, okay, no, it's not a parking lady. <laughs> so we're good. We're good. <laughs> we're good. All right. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, so people ask all the time, what's the favorite place? And it's like, I don't even flinch, man. Australia, <laughs> boom. Uh, so we're stoked to go there. But back to my question... Yeah, sorry. Um, is... <laughs> no, you're good, man. Is... You guys have all this equipment. Do you guys actually bring it from Australia when you tour overseas? We have, well, I should say. Or do you say, have different copies of it? Jimmy, our uh, front of house tech, has the fun job every tour at the beginning and the end to basically break down our rack and kind of break it down into smaller little, you know, flyable units that we right. basically Under take pounds. on the plane with us. So, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, well, usually ends up below 70, so we have to pay the excess baggage fees. Ooh, that's but a bad one. We always fly with Virgin because at least with the Virgin Australia, they're usually pretty kind to us. The Atlantic and America, eh, not so much, but the, yeah, uh, we pay a lot in excess baggage fees. That's right. That's something <laughs> that, pe- that I think a lot of people don't always realize, especially people that are listening that are from, well, I guess you mean shit, even even people in America or Canada when they see a band that's from overseas, but especially people in Europe, because mm. there's just, let's be honest, there's just less bands from, from Europe than there are from America, and maybe even Australia at this point. Um, but, uh, you'll see the band playing and like they had to get all their shit there somehow <laughs> and getting it on a plane can be so expensive. Oh yeah. And yeah, we actually have cases built so that when our equipment's in it, it's at right at 50 yeah, pounds, yeah. which is, you know, the amount of, it's, it's tough to find, you have to jump through. It's tough to find rack cases that are light enough yet, like oh, light yeah. enough to fit all your gear in, but still strong enough that, to deal with the TSA. Cause Absolutely. they are useless. I hate the TSA so much. Have we you have, had any, I, I literally, and stuff? uh, well we've had things just where they've just not even bothered to put the lids back on guitar cases and stuff. So it's oh like, we're trying to protect like four grand worth of guitars and we have these thousand dollar cases and and they just don't even bother putting the lid back on. They just kind of have it on by one latch and like that's damaged latches before. Even to the yeah. point where we had a, one of our flying racks has TSA locks on it so they can open it up. They didn't even bother. They literally cut through it with bolt cutters <laughs> to open the thing up, completely destroying our case. Oh Thankfully we were able to order spares, but um, they completely destroyed it, even though they had the key for the goddamn lock. Uh, I hate them. I hate yeah, them. I pretty brutal. much beg at the front counter these days to say, Hey, Who's going to be opening and inspecting this? Can I show them how to open the locks and the latches and how to put it back on? Because if they don't do it right, there is no point us flying this stuff. Right. And they're always like, Good good luck when you're in uh, places. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, good luck when you're like in Southeast Asia or in like uh, um, South America or something, or like they're just, your stuff Mm. is getting, it's just going (laughs) to get thrown around. There's really no way around it. The The gnarliest thing I've ever seen. Uh, we were we did a one-off show 
down in like Arizona or something. Oh, yeah. And we landed in Dallas. Oh, that's right. We, there was a connection in Dallas. So we landed at Dallas Fort Worth and it was pouring rain. And we were, ha- had a window seats. So we were able to see the baggage, you know, coming mm-hmm. off the plane in the pouring rain. So we see some of our gear come off. And, you know, they're taking the gear and, and they're, you know, they take the suitcases and they literally throw the suitcases. Yeah. <laughs> so our guitars that literally say fragile all over them and our guitars, well, Josh, Josh's guitar gets thrown kind of from the baggage rack to where the other thing is to the other guy. Well, horrible throw, just a bit outside. Uh, I Anyways, it, it hits the runway. Fully, like, thrown up in the air. Hits the runway. The case pops open. Keep in mind, it's pouring rain. So his, like, his Les Paul gold top uh, falls out of the case. And literally, as it was... I should have put... I should say this first. As it was going through the air and as it hit it, everybody looking outside of the plane, there was just a... (gasps) There was a gasp. (laughs) And then, of course, the the guitar just... He kind of throws it back in the case, like, haphazardly. Shuts the thing... I maybe latches it up. The guitar strap is like half hanging out of the case. <laughs> it goes in. So the problem was that the bags were checked all the way through. So we, Josh went and told the people in Dallas, like, hey, I saw this guitar get ruined. And they're like, there's nothing we can do until you're like at your final destination or something. Mm. So then we get to the final destination. And, and they like, told you, oh, it should have been the other. Exactly. You know, and yep. the guitar was fucked. That's like, America like, for you, man. That, it's it's amazing. Like, I mean, you're, you're Canadian, so you probably have a bit of a better sense of it. But there's nothing like coming from overseas and just seeing how the corporate bureaucracy works here in the sense that you try to get anything done and everyone just passes you off to the next person. I mean, it happens yeah. everywhere to a point, but America is just, there's so many dead ends in their <laughs> customer service systems where yes. it's just, you end up with nothing you can do. And you just, you know, I mean, <laughs> that whole story, I'm just sitting here just wincing and kind of shrinking yes. into myself. Just, Oh God, I can see that happening. Yeah. It's uh fun times. Yeah. You have a personality though. That's kind of like, you're kind of an intense dude though. Like you're yeah. very, in I don't want to call you serious, yeah. but you're you're you can be pretty pretty serious and like pretty like. I think I'm locked onto whatever I'm doing. It's, uh-huh. That's uh, a good. You know, yeah. I, people aren't my forte. Um, you know, what I mean, as a singer, you kind of have to develop this almost alternate personality to kind of, you know, engage with people. Is that something that you struggled with? I uh, did for a long time. I've kind of learned. I mean, um, like I said, with my personality type being borderline Asperger's, perhaps undiagnosed, who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a story for another day. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just time, like, man. I think you it's just you like, I kind of, when it's dealing with people that I know and I'm close to, then I kind of, by spending enough time with them and learning kind of, you know, what their family is like, what their background is, what they've done, whether even things like, you know, whether the oldest child, middle child or youngest child, things like that all have reflections on people's personalities. So it's like by engaging with as many people as I have through just being a singer, you kind of start to see these different kind of models of people. And so it makes it easier to kind of deal with, um, you know, the people close to you. So like, I mean, you know, on our tour, you guys had this sick bromance with uh, Beartooth and we were just kind of third wheeling. (laughs) Oh, I don't think it was like that at all. Hey dude, Silvertooth, man. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, Silvertooth, yeah. Well, Silvertooth became a thing. But, yeah, thing. but I mean, it's just, it, you know, I think it became a thing just because it was so such a damn catchy band name. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> I remember that. We could have done yeah. like a hands like 
Steen. No, it just it doesn't. Yeah, it work. just doesn't ring. Doesn't ring. No, <laughs> no silver funny. houses. You know, we could still we could try. Yeah, but no, no, man. I, I yeah, never felt that like way about of, you. We, I felt like like the three of our uh, bands were like there, all. There's just no resentment in that. Of course, it was friends. just kind of in fact, kind of cute felt, watching on. In fact, we felt a bit on the headliner tour more like the third wheel because you and Beartooth were already so close and had toured together before. You know, and we're like, and of course, when you're headlining, there's like more responsibilities. I've got sound check, and we had all those meet and greets, so mm. we didn't have as much time. Yeah, of course. Time to hang out, but yeah. But anyways, yeah. I was gonna say just like to use that as a framework, like because yeah. I'd spent time with the Beartooth guys, I could kind of you know I knew more or less who they were. Like we spent a bit of time with them already, and you know I know their history. I know sure. each you know a little bit about each of them. But with you guys, it was kind of a whole new thing, and because we didn't necessarily have that time, because it was your headliner, and there's all the you know expectations and uh, yep routine that comes with that. Absolutely. Didn't get to kind of bond as much, but. Um, yeah, I guess the more of the, like, as you get to know people, you kind of, I can kind of categorize them and that helps me able to be able to relate to them. Um, but when you, you know, in a social format, like, you know, meet and greets or just hanging out at a venue and chatting to fans and stuff, it's, it's definitely, you kind of, I don't know, you can I've had to learn this kind of almost social construct of like, there's a certain number of ways the conversation can and usually goes and, okay. you know, but quite often I'll end up, you know, talking a fan's ear off about something that somehow the conversations come across something I'm passionate about or believe in and right. uh, to the point where I probably tell them all sorts of weird and un, un- <laughs> uh, irrelevant things, but you know, I mean, people appreciate it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's um definitely been an adjustment for me and I think you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the experience because I, I would, if, if it weren't for the band, I probably would just be this, you know, working just a regular job, you know, still kind of enjoying, you know, some sort of technical aspect, whether that's right. music or design stuff or yeah. whatever. But I, I don't know. I, feel, I don't, I don't think I'd be the same person because I would never have had to learn. This In terms sort of, of your personality. Yeah. Absolutely. This social, this social thing. And I think that's like, you know, the way music's gone in the last 10 years, um, even the last five years, as it's become you know, more personal with social media and meet and greets and, um, and I guess as you know, there's less of a, there's less professional distance these days with the media and stuff like that. It's like, it kind of, I think it's meant that like you, you said before about singers, you know, when you grew up, you saw them always being this kind of like, you know, on top of their game, like, you know, kind of wandering around and just, you know, being in their own element. Yeah. Whereas I think, I find, like, I don't know, the more we've gotten to tour and stuff, I've noticed that a lot of singers are a lot more cerebral now. They're a lot more intelligent, a lot more involved yeah. than singers have traditionally been because it, it used to be just all, you know, you're the front person, all the attention and the ego and all that sort of thing. Whereas I don't feel there's room for rock stars these days, um, at least not in the same sense as they used to be. And I mean, you still have personalities, but I think people are personalities rather than rock stars. It's about the, you know the depth and complexity of a character rather than being just this larger than life that ma- like being on the front of a magazine it's it's and so i feel like singers almost have to be a lot more engaged in what is actually going on in the bigger picture because i feel like because they don't have that you know they're not the ones necessarily writing the songs top to bottom they're not necessarily involved in the technical side they're a lot more aware of the bigger picture and how it's all fitting together. I don't know. Maybe that's just me and my experience. Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 don't think know. You, I think you're making some good points, and I think what you're saying is makes sense. I mean, I, I think I just I'll, I just really think it's interesting when you have that, that. There's so many different personality that there's so many different personality types that can be to mm. do the same job. Yeah, and that's almost what this podcast is about. Yeah, you know? well, lead singer and, syndrome and exactly. Discussing, <laughs> exactly, and discussing kind of 
how we all do the same job, but we are we all come from different walks of life and everything. Hmm. And I was talking to Anthony from Bayside uh, a couple weeks ago, and he um, he said the whole thing is about how, about the whole lead singer syndrome idea was that you know when you get up on stage, you're expected to just ooze confidence, yeah. you know, <laughs> and then the second that the show's over, well, you're not supposed to ooze confidence anymore because then if you do that, then you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it, and it's and it's always confusing and it's it's interesting. Um, you know, there's always a fine line between that stuff, you know, where you yeah. can come off like a dick or well, or if you're just, you know or if you aren't if you're not like that, then people are like, Oh, he's being quiet and he you know and then he's being a dick because he's being too quiet he doesn't want to talk to anybody you know there's like almost yeah, no winning like, if people want to paint you with a certain brush they'll find yeah. a way i think there's this like expectation like well not this expectation this trend of um like you, you have to create this sense of like almost a dissociative pers- personality to to be able to do that and like you know you see so many singers that have this almost double life between who they are like you said like on stage and yeah. off stage and um yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know how I'm to put it exactly. I'm the same fucking it's dude. Just, that's yeah. my thing. I'm the same, pretty much the same guy. Like that. I'm that's talking to you right now. That is going to talk to you know my parents. Like I don't really <laughs> yeah, change enough. my personality much. And it's interesting. Like when you were talking about how you've learned to like talk to fans, and mm. you know, and just times talking about like meet and greets and stuff, and how you you sort of. You said something like I kind of want to go back to for a second. How sure. about how you like said there's a few different ways that the conversation could go, hmm. and it's like you've actually intellectually like analyzed this <laughs> to know where that's going to go, and that's never something I've that's something I've never done. Fair enough. I understand. I guess if I really thought about it, I could say, oh yeah, I could say this, and they'll say this, and then there's a way to end the conversation, mm-hmm. or there's a way to keep the conversation going. I've just never thought about that stuff, um, and the fact that you have, and that your personality type is what it is. I just find that sort of fascinating, mm. but also you bring up how you like to talk to you know, people if it's something that's interesting <laughs> to you. Like, if yeah. a, okay, if you want to, if you really want Trenton to talk to you, like go up to him, talk to talk to him about like microphones or something, <laughs> and he'll talk your ear off about that. You know, but it's 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 just it's all very fascinating to me that the whole idea of of the interaction with your fans being. Uh, like for me it's just for me yeah for me it's just like i don't know i just wing it every time and (laughs) no matter how much the same things are i don't feel like there's any formula to it yeah but i guess there is we we get asked a lot like do you have like weird or bad fan experiences and then i don't think we've very like so we don't do that don't we don't really have particularly weird or memorably bad ones Mm -hmm. but i find that there are sometimes people who just kind of are so excited and nervous about the whole thing that they just stand there really quietly and that i think that for me is the most uncomfortable because it's like crap this is like they're not saying something that i can have some form of because you know there are patterns and people do come up with the same sort of things like oh hey um you know i saw you three years ago at this thing um or i met you do you remember me or um oh your music you know, mean so much to me for this reason. Right. And like it often, you know, there are, it'll very often like, you know, maybe not eight or nine times out of 10, it'll come across to one of those, one of those conversation points. So it says, you know, you can kind of have preconditioned responses, oh, okay. but when people just stand there and kind of, hi, Hey, how you doing? Like it right. kind of, that's when it puts you on the spot and I just get like, crap, what do I do? How do I take this? And that's when I often find myself maybe waffling about random crap just because I'm like, <laughs> they're not saying anything. I don't know what to do. 
Sure. I mean, I th- I don't think that that's like a weird thing. I think any even oh, if it's look, not that I totally setting, get that people get excited. Like I still get the same sort of feeling when you know I meet people that I looked up to. So right. I, I get it. It's just yeah. yeah but some, it's a strange... some people don't understand though that like for example our bass player Bill, he's definitely the one at the merch table the least. Mm-hmm. You know. Because he has a certain amount of social anxiety about yeah. that, about being in that situation. Like he's the bassist. And, I, I mean, <laughs> I guess, you know, I hate to, I hate to, uh, I guess it is lead singer syndrome. I can, I could, I could talk about that stuff, but, you know, and that's just how it is. And I think a lot of, mm. a lot of fans uh, coming out to shows don't always understand that, too. No. That, that, that well, we can, we get nervous and we get shy and, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's actually a real, a real thing sometimes. I think so. people often see like the, you know, what I call the Instagram version people Uh, as well and so it's this kind of glamorized idealized version of people and so i guess it comes down to you know a general social inability to be able to see everyone as individuals like it's like it's easier to comprehend the world if you kind of apply broad brush jokes so if you you know oh you know musicians are all the same so these people are coming out to meet people so why aren't these yeah or, this guy's at the merch table but why is that guy not at the merch table right. and that's we, right we have this peripheral understanding of people having like social anxiety and stuff because a lot of singers have said look i'm i really struggle with stuff yes. and and you know i mean some people kind of lean on that as an excuse to just not do anything true but at the same time other people you know do genuinely struggle with it and you know i guess try and minimize i mean i myself like i i don't like to commit to coming out to the merch table i'd rather just be around the venue in the normal course of the evening like you know after we play we load off we pack down some stuff i'll go you know catch up on emails or um you know have a beer and just kind of sit and relax and kind of you know enjoy the post-show vibe but then you know, I'll go watch the headline band from you know back by the merch table or the sound desk and if you know i would rather meet people and chat in the organic process of doing that yeah. rather than, cause if I, if I feel like I'm in a situation where I don't have a choice to be there, then that's when it starts becoming a little bit kind of like, you know, I mean, Justin Bieber had that whole thing about like, yeah. I don't want to take photos anymore because I feel like a zoo animal. And I you know, I think we can all relate to that where you do feel like almost that's like a right. vending machine for self validation. It's like, because people see these Instagram grammarized versions, they have this expectation that everyone does that and can't necessarily see the subsidies of personality that actually play and, into being and able also, to handle that. And also, people will hear somebody talk in an interview and they'll they'll be all, you know, like Anthony said, oozing confidence. I love that yeah, line, yeah, oozing confidence. <laughs> or then they'll be on stage, oozing confidence. And then they'll see them in just a setting where they're standing there face-to-face and then people don't understand that it's different. Yeah. Because in a you know on stage that's something you've done a million times that's your job yeah. that's well, what you've you got to look you've, untouchable that's you're your like, you got to know exactly what you're doing yeah that you've worked on and then in an interview there's a certain level of that too yeah um, that you pu- that you can choose to put out there but in that situation it's different so that's funny you bring up Bieber he's here tonight oh really <laughs> he was here well he's here last night and he's here tonight I actually have tickets for the show <laughs> Matt. um. Not because I wanted to go see Bieber, <laughs> because my now ex-girlfriend wanted to go see Bieber, so I hooked it up, uh, got the tickets, so now after I talk to you, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get the tickets, and I think I'm going to find a young girl and her father and just give them to nice. somebody. Good play. Well played. I feel like that's that's the karma yeah. right there. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. like the well ultimate... Played karma hey, if you, well but you know, hey i'm gonna i'm gonna be you honest set fire to them for personal significance wow I mean. <laughs> no man i don't i don't i don't i don't hate <laughs> nah, it's better to make someone's I, day than <laughs> i, I kind of like 
I don't know. There's something about about that kid, you know, because he's from here. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, and true. and I've you know we've kind of all watched him grow up and go through these these things For, where well, people it, people some people really it's a hyper concentrated. Some people are really leading a syndrome. <laughs> Oh yeah, we gotta get him on the show, dude. Come on, <laughs> I should be there interviewing him today. Um, no, sorry, but, but, sorry to steal your time, but in buddy. all, <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, oh my god, I can't even imagine what he would what he would say. I want to ask him about uh, how much confidence he's able to ooze. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, I don't know. I'll be honest though. If uh, if I see a scalper and he's like, I'll give you twelve hundred bucks for the pair, I'll probably go. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll take the twelve <laughs> I'll take the twelve hundred bucks. But I would it would be a nice little story to uh oh, beers are to on give you the tonight, tickets then. to to a, a father and yeah, a daughter awesome. or something. But we'll see. I'm gonna go over there and see uh, what it is. And if I get stuck with the tickets, then uh, I'm gonna have to skip uh, your show with Shikari and That's all right. watch the beeves. It, it could be forgiven. It, there's some I'm sure the he's production's produced, pretty insane. He's been involved in some great new music. I mean I know that he's not necessarily solely responsible for any of it, but uh <laughs> Well he sings, I think. The, on the, it. the new album is a, you know, it's a good pop album. They've done some yeah, really cool is, stuff. It there's, is a good album. That um Love Yourself song actually kills me. Uh purely because the way it's recorded is the way I've always wanted to do an acoustic song. Like just record an acoustic song for someone with just an electric guitar, basically a mono mix with just like kind of like a stereo reverb. And just really simple instrumentation, but with that kind of, you know, overdriven electric sort of lady sound. And I've always wanted to do a song like that. And then I heard that sound, I'm like, oh, God damn it, I wanted to do that. And now I can't because everyone's heard it. You know what, man? The fact that you just described, like, that's so you. <laughs> that's that you just described. All over it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm an electric guitar mono with a stereo delay. Like, I don't fucking like. No one knows that, dude. I've heard that song dude, a million times. I didn't know that. Pop music's really fun to break down, just yeah. to kind of see what they've done because it, you know, it makes you appreciate just like some random EDM track that's pure formula. Or when you actually look at some of these, you know, like you see, uh, or you know, even Biebs's new stuff and some of Beyonce's stuff. That's actually you can hear the production value and you can right. hear, you know, I mean, once you, you know, once you kind of learn, learn how to recognize that stuff, it's actually really fun to break down pop right. music and like, ah, oh, this doesn't actually suck as much as everyone kind of thinks it does. Interesting, yeah, because people usually just but, hear the words. Yeah. These are three <laughs> very key words for me, but I digress. But I, <laughs> but I digress. Yes, no. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it kind of it's a good segue into like some stuff you're doing. Obviously, like I know you have a studio. Well, you mentioned it already, actually, about having a studio setting up in. Uh, is that in Canberra? Uh, Zin, uh, well, no, I live uh, closer to a place called Newcastle now. Oh, Newcastle, my yeah. So just on a yeah, little property yeah, out the closer back. Closer to Sydney. Ah, uh, yeah, about an hour and a half north yeah. of Sydney. So it's um. Nice and beautiful, out of the way. Cool. Uh, don't have to deal with people if I don't want to, which is nice after tour. Just to yeah. kind of decompress and like, you know, purge, you know, purge the uh, relevant day-to-day memory from tour, get out of the routine and just switch off for a bit, which Absolutely. is always great. And then kind of ease back into it. Yes. At will. But you're, but with the studio you're working on, like you're yeah. going to try to work with some art- other artists. Yeah. And I mean, do some like production and stuff. For yeah. Them. The key, the key thing to start with, like I want to do a lot of pre-production and, um, in the sense that I want to collaborate and co-write with people um, and give, because Australia's like got a really cool talent base of musicians. Like we've always yeah. had great bands. I mean, you can look at, I mean, look at the number of successful bands coming out of Australia. You've got Parkway Drive, uh, Amity Affliction, In Hearts Wake, North Lane, Tonight Alive, um, Carnival, Dead Letter Circus, like all these bands that have kind of developing. And I mean, you know, even looking at pop stuff like Vance Joy and um, Friends of Rom, dude. Yeah, true. Friends are wrong. Uh, <laughs> that's my see. That's th- my generation. Yeah, yeah, Shet Faker and stuff like that. Like we have such a great talent base, especially per capita. Like it's such a small country. It's of only course. like twenty four, twenty five million, something yeah. like that. Um, it's like two thirds the size of California. 
Yeah, so tiny, yeah, you know, tiny. That's what I like to. But spread over something about the half, you know, two thirds of the size of North America, right? But, but yeah, it's like um, we have this, you know, incredible talent base and some incredible musicians, but a lot of local bands that don't kind of hit, you know, the two or three key. I don't know what to call it, like kind of the opportunities, like between Unified Records, Triple J, and um, well. Uh, Anyway, just like, yeah, yep. there's, you know, I guess the independent channel, which kind of works more so in like a the folk and indie and pop sort of world over there. Um, but if you kind of can't hit one of those three kind of opportunities, then there's a lot of bands that have, that are, you know, incredibly talented. Like there's bands that have come and gone along the way with, you know, some form of success, but never really kind of got much going outside of Australia. So bands like, um, I mean, when we were starting out, there's bands like City Escape, um, House First Hurricane. Um, the mission in motion that did these great things in Australia, but didn't kind of really develop much of an international audience, even though, right. you know, MySpace and social media was a big thing then. Mm-hmm. Um, Closure in Moscow is another one, the getaway plan, oh, yeah. like, um, yeah. you know, bands know, that people may have heard bands, of, yeah. but, you know, we've had these great bands over the years that haven't quite been able to break out of Australia. And, you know, given our fairly extensive experience here in the U S yep. um, and especially, you know, our experiences in hands like houses working, you know, we collaborated on the last album with um, Caleb from Beartooth. We did stuff with Bo Birchall from Sayerson. We did some yep. stuff with Eric Ron, who's done, you know, countless records in the last couple of years. Like, you know, he's worked with issues. He's worked with crown the empire. He's worked with um, new year's day. Like, um, all these different bands he's worked with. We did some stuff, a couple of songs with uh, Lynn and Blake from Paris, like Lynn obviously yeah. being the front woman for that yeah. and Blake being kind of the the co-writer that he kind of ghost writes with them on everything and does all their keys and production. Yep. Um, so we did, a, you know, all this stuff with all these people. We worked with James Wisner, the producer. Um, sure. Did some stuff with Curtis Peoples, who does a lot of stuff with Pierce the Veil. We worked with... Um, Mike Green, who's oh my done, god, dude, this dude, is it's like, a serious credit list. Like we, this is, we yeah, worked this it. is insane. And Australia just doesn't really have a lot of hands-on producers like that. Like we have some brilliant engineers and some incredible studios, right. but especially so basically you're trying to take what you're learning what from all these learned, people and yeah. you're going to try to start to build kind of your own to build younger bands like yeah. to give bands some of that kind of hands-on experience to say because we get so many bands that kind of almost become these like cookie cutter versions of the bands they look up to because when they go to record an album, they write it at home based on their influences and they go straight in the studio and more or less hit record. I mean, yep. And a lot of these guys are working out of small bedroom sort of studios or, you know, kind of semi pro setups. And, and these bands kind of end up coming out very vanilla and don't quite have that distinction to give them, you know, give people a reason to check them out as opposed to their contemporaries that they listen to. So with you guys, when you guys started out, I mean, yeah, you know, being from Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, but not a big city and yeah. not a big it's kind of like Ottawa being the capital of it's Canada. Exactly the same, the same thing. thing. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. Um, and being from that scene and not having a ton of bands from your genre, you know, break out really internationally. Yeah. Uh, was that a big thing for you guys right away to be like, hey, we got to get the hell out of Australia? Um, or, yes and no. Or, I feel like we were kind of an anomaly of timing and opportunity. Um, I mean, we were really lucky that when we started out, we had a, you know, thanks to MySpace, we had a thriving local scene, um, yep. where a lot of bands would come through like, you know, Parkway Drive and Prom Queen and Carpathian and bands like that would often come through all the heavy stuff. But then you also had like, we had a festival that had, um, you know, from Autumn to Ashes and the Bled headlined at that, uh-huh. um, yep. you know, you know, bands that were pretty big around, around that sort of time. Um, and we used to have like, you know, international acts come through Canberra regularly cause we had this little shithole of a venue called Sound Underground that was, 
pretty crap, but it had this community built around it and right. it was thriving. And I mean, I, you know, that's how we all met each other. Like, um, myself, Alex and Matty P were all playing in different bands before we played in this, but we met these guys by playing shows in this little local venue called Sound Underground. It was like a kind of a skate shop slash practice room cool. slash, cool. you know, 300 cap venue. And it was awesome. Like some incredible, like, you know, garage shows, but we met each other through that and we started kind of, you know, writing and recording stuff. But, um, I guess the next kind of anomaly was that the Australian dollar was killing it at that time. We had this, you know, resources boom where China was buying up all this coal oh, for steel production. Okay. And, um, you know, that's now on the decline, but because our economy was so strong and the American economy was, crashed around yeah, that yeah, time, right. it actually worked out cheaper and more beneficial for us to record our first album here in the U S than it was in Australia because our so dollar we were trading at about a dollar five American like wow. for an Australian dollar now it's sitting about the same as a Canadian dollar about kind of 75 US cents so you know it costs us 75 cents to sorry it costs us a dollar 30 right. to oh, buy I an totally American dollar it, now yeah. Um, but yeah back then it, it actually worked out cheaper for us to record over here and so we ended up working with Cameron Mazel who'd been doing a bunch yep. of really notable stuff at that time bands like Woe Is Me Sleeping With Sirens uh, Memphis Mayfire um, I know he's the Memphis Mayfire guy. Yeah, they go to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, he's a legendary dude. Like, we love him to death. And yeah. still get to, you know, try and catch him whenever in Arizona. It's kind of a 50-50 these days. He's pretty busy. But, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, we recorded with him in Florida. And, you know, because of the work records he was working on, that's how we ended up getting, you know, Tyler Carter, Johnny Craig, and Matty Mullins to feature on the record because they were coming through. And at that stage of time, you know, feature guest vocals were actually you know, quite a valuable thing then. They're less so now because people, you know, it became so prevalent that people are less inclined to check out a young band just because they've got a guest vocalist. Because okay. it's been a kind of almost... Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like it is. I, I, don't, I don't do guest vocals because I just mean, we do... Our, our thing has always been with guest vocals. If, if the song really needs something else, like if it needs a second voice and it's the yeah. right voice, then we'll do it. But I think doing it... And I mean, I guess, you know, you got to... I mean, if you can get a guy on his on your song, I guess you know that you think is going to make people hear it. Then sure, that's great for a young. It's band. not worthless, but I, think, but I don't think it's as valuable as it used to be. Yeah, I, I just always thought I always think you got to put kind of the art in the song first before just yeah. having a feature. But, um, but hey, no, that's I mean that's great to have for you know for you guys to be able to have those opportunities. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess. but so you okay? So you guys were able to. So thank you for World Economics being yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, so fucked up at that point yeah, that you were much. able to. Uh, to make your record in America. So then, so had you ever toured the U.S. before? Was no, we hadn't. I mean, we, we, reco- we came over here twice before we started touring. Like, we recorded the album in two halves. And, um, you know, in that process, by recording those songs and releasing one of the early mixes of Lion Skin and This Ain't a Place for Animals, um, those songs kind of piqued the attention of Rise. Yeah. And, um, well, a handful of other labels as well. And our management, uh, well, our then management who kind of picked us up as a little boutique label that was just starting out on their own and cool um you know that kind of almost i guess created the momentum that eventually snowballed into you know being able to sign the deal with rise and Great. um you know at that at that stage like you know they were absolutely so far ahead of everyone else on their youtube and marketing and yes you know everyone's yes. kind of learned from that now so it's a bit yeah. more of an even playing field but back then it made perfect sense for us and um and yeah, so we you know we had that happen, and then we ended up going on our first tour, which was the Rise of Records freshman tour with um, you know My Ticket Home, uh, The Air I Breathe, and Palisades, um, and then that fed into Scream It Like You Mean It, and then Scream It Like You Mean It became the Pierce the Veil tour that we did, and we kind of ended up on this you know crazy track of where we were doing you know 
I mean, obviously supporting, but still playing like, you know, sure. 1,500, 2,000 cap right. ratings in the US. Absolutely. Before we were even doing our own headline shows in Australia of more than 100 people. You yeah, know? that's the amazing and, thing though. Like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like, it's, it's, you know, it's actually, ta- it, it, we've only really started generating some actual momentum in Australia in the last six months since kind of, yeah. you know, hashing out a licensing deal with Unified because they've given the us that remember push. tour and all that well, too. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a complete fluke as well. Yeah, with but it, obviously it's, a, the it's, it's terrible tragic thing, circumstances right, around Ghost Inside. Ghost Inside but, but of course that's, um, that is still a great opportunity for your band, you know? Yeah. Yes, um, I mean, that and putting the new so, record out through Unified has just kind of yeah. kicked things off in Australia. But well, it's just been such an odd and unusual trajectory for us it, to kind of, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time. But one thing I always say to people when it's like, what's your advice for starting a band is just be patient and make sure that you are doing everything you can on your end so that when you get those crazy opportunities that just happen organically that fall in your lap from time to time like you want to be in the position to take that you want to have songs that's going to hold someone's attention and so you know we took two like I think we took three years to put out our first album um, uh, since starting writing it and that is what created the not necessarily it didn't create the opportunities but it created the opportunity to take those opportunities as they came along so it's been such a strange thing and I don't think you could replicate it we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, it's really interesting, though, that, that you guys got your start in the you know, U.S., and we did too, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of similarities between Canada and Australia, you know, like both small country, both big countries in terms of area, yeah, land but, size, but very small countries in term of, terms of population. And obviously Australia is a lot more isolated because you have to take a very long flight to get <laughs> oh, pretty yeah. much anywhere else. Uh, Canada, it's a little easier, but we still have the U.S. border to contend with. Mm. Um, Always but a that fun was experience. A, I'm sorry? <laughs> Always a fun experience. Always a fun experience, <laughs> yes. Uh, and you guys are going to be crossing the border tonight, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, get ready. No, but but being from Canada, right away we were like, hey, we've got to get something going in the U.S. Mm. Because the U.S. is just, there's so it's so much bigger. Yeah. You know? And, and it's so much more saturated as well. Like, it's it's so easy. To, well, it's relatively easy to get in a band and start touring in the U.S. Oh, yeah, because there's a city every actually, two hours. And people take stuff for granted very quickly to the point where if you're not touring, you know, semi-regularly, it's very, very easy to be forgotten. Yeah. Do you think so? so? Yeah. Yeah. I think, but, I think you're right because people in the U.S. are used to seeing kind of it's the sort, sort of... I want it now mm. mentality. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, not that people might not have that mentality, if, but they just, it's just not feasible. But we're, we're used, we're used to like, international bands coming through maybe once every year or two. So yeah, it's like, exactly. Well, yeah, it's probably more like two years. Two so years, it's like yeah. you, when they do come out, you make sure that, you know, yeah, you're there. Absolutely. You're there, you know, think, I mean, shows are announced usually three in, three months in advance rather right. than over here where it often tends to be one or two months. Yeah. Because otherwise people forget about it between announcement and the actual show. Exactly. 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 Well, let's talk about singing a little bit. Sure. Because um, obviously you're a very accomplished singer. And with your sort of personality being very technical, (laughs) uh, back to that again, I think you actually kind of know what you're doing. Which, uh, not to say I don't know what I'm doing, but I just kind of through trial and error over many, many years have figured it out. But I actually noticed that you're teaching some vocal lessons yeah i do um i do some some stuff i still want to learn like 
I feel like teaching for me, it's like I, I still only am comfortable teaching at a beginner level. I'm starting to kind of creep yep. up towards intermediate, but I want to have more of it. Like, you know, you got to understand the, you know, 80% of it to be able to teach 30%, you know? So what the, to the people listening to this, because I'm sure <laughs> some people listening to this are aspiring singers, what is the uh, the first few things that, that you see people doing like wrong that um, you can kind of help them correct I, I right away? I think it's breathing support and learning how to kind of pitch your notes effectively. Like, um, you know, there's a bunch of different kind of, you know, seminars and teaching stuff that you can kind of learn from. But for me, you know, I think the biggest thing is like learning how, like is the idea that singing is a natural thing. It's got to, it, if it's hurts or if it's not feeling right, then maybe you're not doing it right. Like mm-hmm. it's, when you get it right, it's the most natural thing. But it's learning the muscle memory and actually being able to, you know, almost close your eyes and feel, all right, what's actually happening in my throat and mouth and head right now? And, you know, my lungs and, you know, my stomach to actually create this note and this continuity and this tone and resonance that you, that's uniquely me so i think the biggest thing people do wrong is just you know almost try to go for you know try to go beyond their means and their own capabilities in the way that they write and i mean i do it all the time it actually kills me where I'll, there's so many times where we've been in a studio situation where i've been kind of sitting in a back room kind of if we shut our eyes okay that's not too high and then i go to actually sing it's like if we shut oh yep <laughs> right that's high but yeah like i think you know it's being able to kind of I don't know. I, th- I think people just need to be more in tune with their body and being conscious and aware of what's happening. And that's been the biggest thing for me. Cause like, you know, I definitely had a lot of trial and error. Like sure. when I, jo- when I first was asked to join hands like houses, I did like a, you know, six week crash course with um, <laughs> a friend's brother who was a singing teacher. And he taught me a few you know, basic breathing techniques and um, warm up exercises that essentially just only really kind of just taught me to sing like fluidly, if that makes sense. Sure, so yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was the biggest thing I took out of it was just sing comp- fluid or legato, right? And that's yeah, the just, big thing having the, this kind of be able to try to be smooth between your yeah your notes. Is so it's kind of being able to just support it, and that was the biggest thing. And I, you know, I basically sang based on that for three years. Yeah, just purely by singing and kind of yeah trial and error and learning how my voice responded to supporting it in different ways. So. Um, you know, but after a few years, as we were starting to do headline sets of longer than 45 minutes, to, right. you know, I started really straining to actually, you know, not only maintain my range, but also sure. keeping my breath and, you know, not just feeling utterly exhausted by three songs in. Um, so, you know, I ended up actually going back in, um, Jenna from Tonight Alive re- recommended her teacher when oh, we cool. went out with them. Uh, I think it was in the Australian tour we did with them in, um, 2013, I think it was. And um, in the last couple of years, just when I'm home, periodically I've gone to see this teacher, Chantelle Ormandy, who absolutely life-saving in the sense that she taught, like basically retaught me everything I was doing from the ground up. It wasn't drastically different from what I was doing, but a few little subtle changes and helping me actually visualize, okay, so, you know, you, you know, your lungs are in the top half of your chest, but yes. your diaphragm smack bang in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And... You'd, it's it's almost like um, there was one little analogy she actually used that was huge in the sense that if okay imagine wearing a pair of rollerblades and facing a brick wall. Oh God, rollerblades! I don't know, man. Can yeah. I skateboard instead? <laughs> we can do a skateboard instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rollerblades. Rollerbladers are a special type of person. But um, <laughs> so wait, we got okay. Well, let me let me visualize. We got okay. We got rollerblades and then what? Uh, and a brick wall. Okay. Sounds dangerous. Yeah. If you. Well, so if. Let me cut back, sorry. Imagine you're standing on a skateboard 
Let's just say there's a... <laughs> okay, we're back to skateboarding. Yeah, okay. So there's a person standing in front of you. You, you stand up palm to palm and you push off them. Yep. Now, they're standing flat-footed, which means that if you push them, they're going to go backwards and you're going to go backwards a little bit. Yes. Well, and you, your diaphragm is almost like the palms of your hands. Imagine in, instead, of front, instead of them standing in front of you with their flat-footed, imagine a brick wall. Right. Push off the brick wall. The brick wall's solid, and you push off that, and you actually get a lot more momentum from that. Right. In the same way, the it's same like way you're learning to your, your diaphragm. Your, yeah. your is actually pushing off everything below it, so pretty much all your guts. So you know, there's a halfway point in your stomach where your diaphragm is. Um, below that, it's about creating a platform because the di- the way the diaphragm works is it it sits flat, and when it contracts, it pushes up into your lungs. And so, by actually learning to identify where your lungs, like forget where your lungs are breathe from your diaphragm and below being able to visualize that and actually look at myself in a mirror and just do these breathing exercises just to see ah okay so that's how you support a note and that in itself just meant that to hit those high notes you're not having to sing loudly because you're not trying to use all your lungs to hit these notes it's actually supporting it technically you know by creating that brick wall with you know uh the muscles that are around your diaphragm sure. and like, you know, even just, yeah. you know, sucking in the bottom half of your stomach so that it creates a platform for the diaphragm to push against and push the air out. It just makes everything come out cleaner. Um, and that gives you more room to kind of shape it with your throat and your mouth. So yeah, that, like I said, I, I get it. No, I, that's, but I, I digress. Mean, no, those no, three no, words. Oh uh, yes. But yes, yeah, no. it's like, <laughs> no, I mean, that's, uh, that's a really cool thing about the the brick wall analogy. That was that was cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and next time you talk about it, please let's lose the rollerblades. Okay, let's just stick okay. to skateboarding. Stick to skateboarding. Uh, yes. No. That's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if anybody um, is interested in talking to Trenton one on one with some vocal lessons uh, online, maybe you got yeah. that set up right. So check uh, that yeah, out. Yeah, I've got just um, my studio website, collisionsaudio. Sorry, do it again. Sorry, collisionsaudio.com is my website. Like uh, it's at, at the moment, it's set up for just you know studio inquiries, but more than welcome to just kind of yeah swing through a absolutely, vocal inquiry, absolutely. That's trying great. to get some no. stuff later in the year. Um, I got to ask you about one specific thing when we Uh-oh. were on the last tour, Uh-oh. and you had a bit of a vocal problem with <laughs> your. You got sick. Yeah. And you were in trouble. Well, you you put a tour in January, February through Canada. I blame you. You, you can, oh yeah, you can blame definitely. <laughs> well, specifically your booking agent, but yeah. We tour. Well, we tour in we tour in Canada all the time in January. I mm. don't know what the fuck we're thinking, but um, and I know that was really really tough on you, uh, hard on you, and and how how did you manage to get through that? And you know what what's kind of your What's your take on that? Like when you're in that situation, what do you what do you do? I f- I feel like singers before? like if you ever see time? a singer kind of looking down on themselves and like not looking like they want to talk to anyone, nine times out of ten it's because they're not like their voice isn't feeling how it should. Like yeah. it's that's a good it, that's you a know good with that too. muscle memory thing, it's like you know your voice, you know how things feel, whether like, you know, I, even this last week, like I breathed in a bunch of dust from Carolina rebellion festival the other weekend, which right. was an amazing festival, but like, it was just so dusty and dry that yep. that week I, like I felt the dust and you know, I mean, what your body does is to try and reject it is it, it builds up mucus in your, in your air passages sure. to try and kind of slowly work its way up. And literally that week I could feel it every day, just creeping a little bit higher, a little bit higher until we hit, um, you know, uh, welcome to Rockville. No, wait, sorry. Wrong festival. We went on, <laughs> we went on that one. Uh, it was, uh, Northern invasion in Wisconsin. And, um, I woke up that morning. It, you know, it was, we were playing at, I think it was just after 
12 o'clock we were playing we had a 10 a.m load in like we we're setting up on stage and i just i was like no nah, today's gonna be a bad day because it was freezing cold right. like you know it's may and yet it was still you know it snowed the night before in Jeez. somerset and it was cold and dry and everything like all the worst things for a singer is cold dry air and then dealing with you know basically a mucus build up in my throat and um i got on stage somehow managed to scrape through the set Jeez, it, in my yeah. ears it sounded absolutely terrible thankfully jimmy is a bit of a beast on the desk and was yes, able to kind is. of cover it up with compression and uh you know with compression and reverb and all the fun to, you know eq all, all the fun stuff he does up there he kind of covered my tracks but like i knew i was not singing well at all and yeah. I, I literally walked off stage and i said sorry guys i gotta go and just went back to the van and slept the rest of the day because I, I just couldn't be myself i hated myself not for the fact that i could have done anything differently but just i i knew i wasn't my best and yeah. when you're the singer you're in front of everyone you're the point of contact to the song yeah. you're the first emotional connection point people have to the music and so if you don't represent yourself with the best, the best you of can. your ability yeah. you're letting everyone else down because that's the first thing people will see and criticize and you get so stuck in your own head yeah. and so i mean that's what happened on our tour like you know struggling with a cold and flu that you know it it gums up the works. It's like if the most common illness in the world gave gave you sticky fingers, then guitarists would know the exact same feeling, but they don't. So, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's That's so funny. It's um, it's one of those things, and, and it, you know, even Rao from Shikari has been struggling with it the last few days, and you just see it in his personality, the way yeah. he carries himself, and it it sucks as a singer because you know exactly what that feeling is, and you just want to give him a big hug and say it's okay. You actually sounded alright, and I mean, even last night, like he, you know, they have these cool, like really intimate parts of the songs they have these great dynamics where they, right. they drop back to these little quiet guitar picky bits and he's singing like how wondrous the upheaval and his voice is cracking through the whole thing but it, it actually sounded awesome but when you're the singer it's like you don't hear that you hear the voice cracking and you're like this sucks this sucks it's true because you know you yeah, i mean obviously you know your best your voice the best how it's supposed to sound and then when it doesn't well, how it's sound, supposed to feel so, yeah oh yeah sound and feel but it's always it's always better than you think it is too. Yeah. You know, and that's people always like people will come up to me after a show where I sucked, and people will be like, "Oh my god, you sounded so good!" And I like, like really, right? Yeah, <laughs> not even not even really. Like I think they're lying, but but over the years, you you know, you start to realize that, you know, it's always it's always worse for you. Um, you know, we actually were on tour with Voice Sets Fire in Europe, and their singer had like a brutal sickness and they i mean we can blame their booking agent for this they had zero days off mm. we did like 16 shows in a row vocal rest is so underestimated oh i know and so he had to go every day and then they asked me if i would do the screaming for them <laughs> so i did it that's sick it wasn't easy for fun. me to sing you know two sets like that but it was it was cool and i was happy to help you know yeah, and, course, and uh, great. uh great great dudes uh love voices fire so but it's funny, man. Like nobody is immune. Mm, no, nobody is no. immune to sickness or vocal problems, and uh, and you know that's why we have this podcast to talk about how hard our exactly. lives are. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I always get it. We, people always see uh, the complaining and like to kind of attach it to this mentality around singers being rock stars and having these big egos. It's like no one will ever get it until they are singing in a band, and it's it's you know we yeah. try not to let it inflate our egos, but we do have a different role. We do have a job to play and we do have a very specific skill set that 
you know is so key to what we do i mean sure i wish it, instrumental bands were a bigger thing like it but at the same time like for, the, for most people like the i bet instrumental bands party the hardest yeah i'm sure <laughs> they, they don't do. have to worry about their voice <laughs> the next day yeah it's, it's it's such a a strange job like the ventures oh i bet the ventures threw down man the, the, sorry, the <laughs> the Ventures. They're like a fifties or maybe sixties oh, right. surf band. <laughs> you know, walk don't run. This is going back to my musical young age. This is right. Yes, this is this is fine. You don't need to know who the Ventures are. They're uh, but they are they are terrific. If you're ever looking to listen to some great classic uh, surf rock, hell yeah, there I'll, you go. I'll have to keep it in mind. Well, hey, man, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Hey, dude, thanks for having me, man. I know you got a show tonight. I know we don't want to talk and wear out your voice. Oh, you've got Bieber tickets Although, to go pick up. Uh, I do have Bieber tickets to, <laughs> to, to pick up. Yes, I do. Um, and dispose of accordingly. Uh, yes. Do you think I should just set set fire to them? I have a later here. I think try and, f- try and find a fan and her dad and make be, their day. Yeah, failing would, failing that, find a scalper and failing that, symbolically set them on fire, put it on Instagram and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, just, that's viral content viral, right there. Right. There we go. That's, Everyone that's... loves to hate Bieber. <laughs> Not quite hate, as much as they love to hate, hate Kanye. Bieber. But... I kind of like Bieber, so uh, I'm, I don't think I'm going to set flame, flames to the tickets, but uh, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Maybe I'll bring them here to you and you can do it. All right. All right. We'll do that. <laughs> well, hey, man, I'll see you later tonight. Dude, looking forward um, to it. And thanks again, Trent. Hey, thanks for having me. You have a nice car. Thank you. I, I enjoyed my my it's actually my car yesterday. The check engine light came on and it started making grinding sounds. Ah, joyous! So I did what any um, man that doesn't know about cars does, which is pull over and get gas. Just <laughs> assuming that oh, I just fill it up with gas to be fine. And I opened the hood like I knew what I was doing. Just kind of looked, peeked around, turned it off, turned it back on, and it's been fine ever since. But oh, I probably need a new car pretty soon. Yeah, well. Yeah, if it was on the wrong side, I'd say, yeah, you know, might be able to fix it and take it back to Australia, but nah. <laughs> That's a long uh, boat ride. I don't think the car's worth it that is. much, but hey, man, all, right, all the best. Thanks, and have a great day. Hell yeah. Thank you. So there's my conversation with Trenton, my very good buddy from Hands Like Houses. Uh, it was really cool to hang out with him, uh, sitting in my, in my old BMW that is definitely on its last legs. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's May 2-4 weekend, uh, you know, big holiday in Canada, and my car was really struggling, and I think it's time to throw that one in the garbage, and uh, it's sad. I've had that car for five years. It's been good to me, but um, time to let it go. Also, about the Bieber tickets, uh, I had a bit of trouble finding a young girl looking for tickets. I ended up selling them, and... Uh, didn't get anywhere close to $1,200, got sworn at by some uh, very, very angry gentlemen. Uh, but all in all, it's fine. I got uh, what I paid for him and uh, all is well. Anyways, thank you very much again for listening to this podcast, supporting this podcast. If you like the show today, please go back, check out the other episodes. As always, we're up every Monday. So next Monday, there'll be a new episode again. And if you really like the show, please Go write a review on iTunes, preferably five stars. That really helps us out with, you know, climbing the charts and getting more and more awareness for this show. Thank you very, very much. As always, I will leave you with some music. Hands Like Houses, one of my favorite tunes. Just a great song, great riff. And of course, an amazing performance as Trenton always pulls off. Here is Introduced Species on Lead Singer Syndrome. And we'll see you next week. Peace and love. We don't belong here.
Together, in a way we are all suspended.